Uh, This morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verses 11 through 22. And I'll read those out for us. You'll find them on your screen as well. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has, made us, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn our attention now to your word, we're thankful for the unity that we have been given in Christ. We've already experienced that this morning at the communion table. We've sung about it through all of the hymns and songs that we've sung together. And now we come under the authority of your word. I pray that you would continue to shape us into one people in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've been able to get away and travel any over the last few weeks. Um, Maybe you are joining us from a distant place because you traveled back in February and you've been stuck there. Um, But perhaps over the years in your traveling, uh, you've come across an old bridge. Uh, Maybe it was an old covered bridge or a stone bridge. Or maybe you were out on a hike and came across everyone's favorite rope bridge where all of the wooden slats that you encounter continue to test your faith in new ways. Um, One thing that those types of bridges have in common is that they're very old. Uh, They're usually also very beautiful. Um, and so you can already imagine in your, in your setting, in your mind, that you've already got the best angle for your, your photograph. And if you were to walk across that bridge, you and I together, we'd probably be fine. The structural integrity would hold. Now, imagine that same bridge, uh, ignoring any of the weight restrictions that you would imagine are in place. In your mind, you are now the driver of a semi-truck. And you drive that 40-ton truck across that beautiful bridge. I wonder if you'd have the same faith in its structural integrity. It may not be quite as inviting as you thought. If that truck were to drive across that bridge, every structural imperfection, every defect would be exposed. 
And if you did make it across, the bridge would likely be a little worse for the wear. Now, did driving that truck across that old bridge create those flaws in the structure? Did it create the defects? It might have added to them, but it more than likely simply exposed what was already there. The weight of the truck, the pressure of the truck exposed what was already there. You know, I wonder, and I've been experiencing this even in my own life, what has been exposed in our lives over the last few months? We've had a pretty big semi drive over the bridge of our lives, and it's been a, a load-bearing truck with lots of variety of cargo. All of our flaws, our imperfections have been exposed. Perhaps what was once hidden in the darkness has been now brought to the light. And like someone who gets the lights turned on them in the morning before they're ready to open their eyes, they just want to keep their eyes closed and don't want to see anything. We're aware of our brokenness and our limitations all the more. Maybe we're feeling still separated and isolated from other people more than ever, and we're just starting to rebound from that. And that doesn't just have to be physically. You might have experienced feeling like an outcast, whether that's socially or emotionally. Maybe with even, in, even within the walls of your own home and your own family. Maybe it's been because of your ethnic or racial background, your economic standing. Maybe your marital status. Maybe you're a student and you just feel stuck. Maybe you feel that way spiritually. Like God isn't there. Or if he is, he's not paying any attention to you. And it's because of these things that we often grow in hostility and outrage with God and with each other. And that's nothing new, even for God's people. And if you're engaged in these kind of situations or you're in the middle of one, I'm grateful that the Bible has a word for us, has a word for you even this morning. God is not silent. He is not passive and he is willing and able to bring healing to the brokenness that you're experiencing and make you new and to make us new together. You see, God doesn't just want to come and mend our old bridges. He wants to give us a new one that we can cross together. In our passage in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, Paul is describing a very deep, complex, historical and hostile rivalry between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are simply people who were non-Jewish. There was no bridge that these two groups of people were crossing together. These two groups existed on polar opposite ends of every spectrum imaginable. They were divided religiously. Gentiles did not know the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible. Now, sure, Israel was given the command to be a light to the nations, and yet through religious elitism, through disobedience, they had failed to bring others in. But there was also plenty of separation on the Gentile end as well. You had Egyptians, Romans, and Greeks. You think about all of the, the gods that they would have worshipped. And they separated themselves willingly from Israel. They were separated culturally. Jews had rituals and feasts and ceremonies that distinguished them from everyone else. There was also ethnic separation. 
The Jews had their bloodline linked to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and the promised Messiah was to come through one of their own, not through someone else's lineage or bloodline. All of these were polarizing factors that led to hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And now with the proclamation of the gospel, with the risen, the reality of the risen savior, Jesus Christ, you have many thousands of people, even within Ephesus, coming together through Jesus with different backgrounds, Jew and Gentile, different ideologies, different traditions. And they were clashing with even within the walls of the family of God. And Paul is going to show us that through Jesus, these two enemies have not just only become friends, they have actually become family. A new household of God is being built. And in this, we're going to see the power and glory of Jesus and his gospel message of peace. Because that's what we all long for, right? In the midst of all of this polarization and rivalry and hostility that we're even experiencing, can't there just be peace? And if so, how and on whose terms? Well, it's through the cross of Jesus that we are first able to be reconciled to God and then reconciled with each other because it's the first that enables the second. And we can't miss that this morning. And so our aim is to see that Jesus has brought peace for us with God and therefore peace with each other. Union with Christ, unity with each other. And we'll see this progression through the text. First, we'll look at our hostile alienation, what we used to be. And second, we'll look at our redemptive identification. Who have we been remade to be? And then third, we'll, we'll find our peaceful unification. How can we be going forward? And I'll repeat those as we come to them in the text. First, let's look at this hostile alienation, who we were in verses 11 and 12. Paul is setting up here in the book of Ephesians this pattern of before and after Christ. And in, in the previous verses, in verses one through three of chapter two, I urge you to read that section maybe when we're done this morning. You can see a lot of this similar language that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. They, they, that you once walked in them, that this is how you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. That was our spiritual and functional condition. But you'll also notice that each of those characteristics carries with it a timestamp. And, and when is that stamped? Well, it's in the past. Writing to the church, those who are in Christ, this is the, the, the glorious theme even of chapter one. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible about being in Christ, the union that we have with Jesus. He's reminding all of us what we've been rescued from. And Paul is continuing that theme by calling his readers to first remember, remember. Therefore, remember that at one time, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. What are they to remember? Well, they were to remember that they were called the uncircumcised by those who are circumcised. There was a label given to them. Uh, in other words, because they were lacking this Jewish ceremonial physical difference in the flesh, 
and they were separated. And so why did that cause separation? Well, because to the Jews, circumcision was a sign of their covenant. Just like a wedding ring might be the sign of the covenant that a husband and wife have with one another, circumcision was a sign of the Old Testament covenant between God and his people. And so to be without that physical sign was to be separated from the Lord. And what are those consequences? Well, he says here in verse 12 that they are, if you are in this way, you would have been Christless. That means that you would have been without the Messiah. Gentiles were separated from the messianic hope of Israel. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, foreigners. They were excluded from the citizenship of Israel, alienated from God's people. They were strangers to the covenant of promise. Maybe they didn't even know there was a Messiah to come. And lastly, it says that they were without hope in the world, without God in the world. They were hopeless and godless. And so while God did plan to bless all of the nations through Israel, the Gentiles didn't know this. And it's also likely that they they didn't care. They didn't know that there were promises And because of that, they had opted to worship other gods, find other idols uh, to become the object of their worship. You know, one of the results of the COVID pandemic has perhaps been the exposure of all of our idols, the objects of worship that we are tempted to opt for instead of giving our total devotion to the Lord. I mean, how many of us would really love to watch a baseball game right now, right? That's me. But what other idols have been exposed during these days? Perhaps it's convenience, personal comfort, maybe your personal freedoms. Now, those aren't bad things. In many cases, they are very good things. But sometimes they can become God things and find a wrong place in our life, in the hierarchy of our worship. But when we find that they've been stripped away, we can start to see how tightly we hold on to them. And we can see the, the heartstrings, our affections, where they really lie and what we really hold on to for security. These last few months, we've also been ex- exposed to all the ways that we're separated from each other. Think of all of the ways that you observe separation, you experience even separation right now, racially, ethnically, socioeconomically, relationally, politically. Maybe there's marital separation, even physical separation and isolation. Friends, these are all indicative of our brokenness as people and they demand our attention. But first, as damaging as those factors of separation are, have you stopped to consider that what Paul is describing here is worse? It is a worse condition And that is the position that we're in without Jesus. And such was I. I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, we're tempted to lose sight of this. But what Paul is describing here is is genuinely a worst case scenario for humanity, for a human being. Whatever we've been through these last few months, and we've had some terrible moments of hostility, this is worse I mean, mean, right, it has to be. If we believe what the Bible says, it is worse. And that's not hyperbole, nor is it to minimize anything that we've experienced. 
In fact, it's the opposite. It's to elevate in our thinking and in our sight what our condition is apart from Christ or what it was or what you might be experiencing right now if you find yourself far from the Lord. If you are separated from God, you are hostile, unreconciled in that type of position before him. And so we too need to remember then what God has done. And for some of us, it's so long ago, it is hard to remember, but of others, it's, it's fairly recent. Maybe even during this pandemic time, you have put your faith in Jesus. I'd love to invite you to our baptism service that will be happening uh, in just a few weeks outdoors. Uh, I'd love to talk to you more about what your next steps might be there. Are you alienated from God? Are you separated from Jesus, an outsider to the family of God? Many times in the Old Testament, Israel forgot this because they had been God's people for so long and many times they presumed upon God's promises. And it was when they forgot who they were is when they got into trouble. I wonder if if your forgetfulness has led to spiritual arrogance or that humble grace that you were so amazed with has turned into a position of pride. Have your affections for the Lord begin to wander in different directions? Well, this call to remember isn't one of shame or leverage. Don't you know what you've done? That is not what Paul is saying. He's, trying, he's not trying to hold this over our head. He, he's actually making a statement to the contrary. He is elevating the power of the gospel and he's naming their prior situation and bringing this to their attention so that they would have greater understanding and appreciation for this mighty reversal that Christ has brought on their behalf. And so if I were to describe to you a situation and use these words like hopeless, alienated, separated, godless, stranger, you'd be concerned. What are we gonna do? What will it take to overcome a situation like that? To reverse what seems to be irreversible, to conquer what is inconquerable. You probably would assume that we were speaking in hyperbole or exaggeration. But no, these are the words that describe us apart from Jesus, this hostile alienation. But praise the Lord for verse 13. But now. But now we move from hostile alienation to a redemptive identification. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. That which we needed, that which we longed for, Jesus himself is both the provider of and the fulfillment of both. Theologically speaking, he was our substitute. He was our atoning sacrifice. He bore the punishment of our sins that separated us from God. Experientially, we encounter the effect of the cross by our union with Christ. Notice that this language says, in Christ Jesus. It's in him that we experience the benefits of his shed blood. There was this past event that addressed our past condition and we experience the results in the present. And this is what God gives us, peace with himself, and it enables peace with each other. Unity with Christ, union with Christ, unity with each other. In verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
what was alienating us and making us hostile, he has broken, broken that down by abolishing everything that separated us, so making peace so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body, thereby killing the hostility. And all of this comes through the cross. And so do you see what Jesus has done? What he has accomplished? You know, some might say that the cross is overemphasized. We might be criticized for being too atonement central, too atonement centered. We, we should focus more on social issues, issues of justice, racial reconciliation, and the common good. Now, are those important issues? Absolutely they are, but they are not primary. If we want to step into those situations, we must first, as the church, bring the power of the gospel that reconciles us. Some would say you don't need the cross to, the, to accomplish those things. Just legislate it. Just vote on it. The church needs to speak up about these things with the power and the authority of the gospel at the center. Some might say that the cross is too violent. All of this language of death and blood and the flesh, it's disturbing. And they'd be right. It is. But what is truly highlighted here is the disturbing and desperate situation that we are in apart from Jesus that made the cross, the shedding of his blood necessary. But it's in this new redemptive identity that he has brought us peace. Jesus is our peacemaker with God and with each other. You see, what happens when we trust Jesus is that we are made new in him. We are made right with God and we are remade as one with each other. Where there was a dividing wall of hostility with God, Jesus has overcome it. Where there was a dividing wall of hostility with each other, Jesus has overcome it. Where there was religious separation, cultural separation, ethnic separation based on bloodlines by his blood, Jesus has made us one. We have been given a holy blood transfusion, if you will. And when he rose to new life, this wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile stayed in the grave. He killed it, verse 16 says. He put it to death. And when we... God's people, the church, when we create walls of division within the boundaries of the church, friends, do you know that we are raising to life something that was meant to stay dead? When we create and even propagate a church body that is separated and segregated based on race or wealth or academics or age or marital status, that looks a lot more like the way the world separates itself rather than the way we're meant to be unified in Christ. We are raising to life something that was killed in the flesh of Jesus and it stinks. It was meant to stay in the tomb. And you know, I, I would submit that it's part of the reason that the church has such a small voice in the discussion of racial reconciliation these days. The world is filling the gap that the church has left void. We'd rather retreat into our political party lines and verbiage rather than use the gospel language of reconciliation, restoration, redemption, and unity. We need to speak up with gospel language and gospel authority. 
Well, did you know that when Paul was writing this letter, there was a literal wall standing in the courtyard of the Jewish temple. It was a line of delineation and boundary that kept the Gentiles out of the rest of the temple. The Jews were so serious about keeping the Gentiles out in the court of the Gentiles that even messages in Greek and in Latin, which was the Gentile languages of the day, they they were on the wall that warned them not to proceed any further lest they die. They were to remain in their own space Well, that temple was destroyed in AD 70 in a physical way. But it was destroyed spiritually when Jesus died on the cross and got up out of the tomb. And as a result, Jesus created in himself one new man in place of the two. Jesus abolished something old and has created something new, which is what he is continuing to do as he brings all things under his lordship. He has given us all one new common identity under the banner of the redemption that is found on the cross, redemptive identification. We are reconciled together in Christ. Now, this wasn't a ceasefire this wasn't uh, an, the opportunity where they both agreed on the, on the principle of a treaty to lay down their arms. There was no negotiation, no agreement of terms. This isn't a, a compromise where the Jews needed to be a little bit more like the Gentiles and the Gentiles needed to be a little bit more like the Jews. Dress this way, eat this food. No, they both needed to be more like Jesus. John Chrysostom said that it is though God took a statue of silver and a statue of lead and put it into the furnace and out came a new statue of gold. They had a new identity together under the redemptive work of Jesus. This is the message that Jesus preached in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and it's the message that we must continue to believe and to preach as the church. The good news that those who were once far off, even the ones who thought they were near, can not only be brought near, but be brought in and be in Christ. You can have peace. Peace with God isn't about your bloodline. It's not about your DNA, your ethnic heritage. It's not about your religious history or the ceremonies that you have or haven't experienced. It's not about your bank account, your education, your social standing. Paul is saying that in God's currency, in God's economy, those things are irrelevant and have no value. Those are man's attempts to find in the flesh meaning and identification to bind ourselves back to God rather than him reaching down and recreating us. And all it does is create hostility and separation. And Jesus came instead of being a dividing wall, he is our door of opportunity and of salvation. And it's through this common open door of Jesus that we find union with him and unity with each other. So let's now look at this peaceful unification that we're to exemplify in verses 19 through 22. Paul gives us three metaphors. He calls us citizens, he calls us family, and he calls us stones, or maybe we should say building blocks. I don't know when the last time you thought it was a good thing to be called a stone, but there it is. Citizens, verse 19. Paul contrasts our new identity in Christ with our former selves. We are no longer strangers and aliens, those having no home, no nation. Now we have kingdom citizenship. 
The Gentile is not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Is not a second-class citizen in someone else's territory. They are full members of the kingdom of God. And when we are aliens in another land or foreigners in another country, you know, we, we feel vulnerable. Perhaps you've been in that situation if you traveled uh, internationally. You feel maybe vulnerable or at risk. Perhaps there are people watching even this morning who have uh, been brought here as a, as a refugee. You feel hopeless. In the church, we want to see hope for the, for the refugee. We want to bring in the spiritual foreigner, the, the spiritual stranger into the family, into the kingdom of God. And this is our story. This is your story. So we're citizens. We're also family. It's the second metaphor Paul gives. We are members of the household of God. And it might be a little easier sometimes for us to think of Jew and Gentile living within the same borders, but family? Really? It's rather stunning when you think about it. Paul goes on in in chapter three of Ephesians to say, this is a great mystery. Gentiles are our fellow heirs. They have the same inheritance given to us through Jesus. We are fellow heirs. Why? Well, it's because we have the same heavenly father. And Paul just made that point in, in verse 18. He says that we have access in one spirit to the father, to the same father. Therefore, we are within the same family. That means that we're brothers and sisters. We have responsibilities to each other. As family, we we want to see our family grow and expand, right? The church is is not a a building that we go to, thank the Lord, because we're not always able to be here these days. It's not an event that we attend. It's not a hotel or a club that we occasionally visit, leaving a tip if we feel that we've been served or leaving a complaint if our preferences and needs haven't been met. It's a place, it's a people It's how we gather together and express our worship to God. And if this building were to collapse, and probably one day, decades from now, it will, the church would still be standing and the church would still be intact as the family of God. That's why when you travel to another part of the country or another part of the world and you attend a gospel church, you can greet each other as brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what you look like, what your background is, what your past is, how much money you make, where you live, what your bloodline is, what color your skin is. You are welcome in the family of God. We prefer one another or prefer others over ourselves. You know, that's that's how we teach our kids in our actual blood families, right? And and so the grown-up kids in the family of God, we need to act that way too. Lastly, Paul says that we are stones. We are building blocks. And he uses this metaphor of stones in the temple. Joined together, creating a dwelling place for God's people. Now, this would have been a very vivid uh, illustration for those people because they would have been looking at a physical temple that was over a thousand years old that I just outlined actually created division. But Paul's saying that there is a new structure being built by God, joined together and growing into a new temple for the Lord, built on Jesus. And so we have these metaphors of what it means to be 
together, to be unified in Christ and have unity with one another. So, so what does this mean for our peaceful unification? Well, it means that every person counts. It means that this morning, some of you need to be reminded not to build up your pride or give you some false sense of, of platform, but you need to be reminded of your identity in Christ to remind you that what God says about you is the most important thing about you. It's the truest thing about you. Some of you have been told verbally, experientially that you are unlovable, that you are unusable, that you perhaps even are worthless, that you have no value. You have felt constantly other. You have no place that you feel like you can call home. You are without a people, without a family. You might've been even treated that way within the walls of a church, maybe even the walls of this church. Maybe it's not anything anyone has explicitly said to you. Maybe it's what you say to yourself. You have a past. You have shame. You have regret. You tell yourself that you're unlovable, that you're unforgivable, that you can't be redeemed, that you won't measure up. You've been told or you tell yourself that you're not needed and you don't have anything to give. You might feel like a stranger or an alien, someone who is far off, hopeless and without a friend. But if you are in Christ, you are not just a friend. You are a sister or a brother. You are a building block in God's temple and he has great purpose for you and your church family needs you and you need your church family. You count, you matter. Your old identity is gone. A new one has been given to you. You can have one even right now this morning. You have been brought near. We need each other. And this elevates our view of what the local church is and can be. That means that college church, we are to be a kingdom for the refugee and for the immigrant. That means we are a family for the orphan and for the widow. That means that we are sanctuary for the outcast and for the lonely. And we can be an example to the world of what racial reconciliation ought to be. Not because we just mustering together can achieve it, but because Jesus has already achieved it. And so where our culture would draw lines of rivalry and polarization leading to all of this hostility and outrage, the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ demands that we tear down those walls, that we pray for those who persecute us. And we do that in the church for a testimony, for the greatest apologetic that the world has ever seen for the gospel. The church, a group of diverse and people in different backgrounds, a people who were once hostile and alienated with each other, with a new redeemed identity, peacefully unified under the banner of the risen Savior. That leaves us with a couple of questions for a response. College church, what do you want to be? How Christian do you want to be? Maybe a better way to ask it is, how Christian are you prepared to be? Maybe in a personal example that you're thinking of right now, how is God using you or how, God, how he can use you as a peacemaker? Have you allowed walls of hostility to remain between you and a brother or sister? 
maybe even at college church? Have you elevated your preferences instead of preferring others? Has pride or discrimination or prejudice kept you from going to, to seek forgiveness and reconciliation? I hope you see through this passage how that's anti-gospel. Maybe there's someone even today that you need to go and be reconciled with right after we're done. Brothers and sisters, these are, these are not easy things. They are hard things. But Jesus didn't come that we might be built into a house of comfort and anonymity. These are the implications of the gospel of peace in which the spirit dwells. Perhaps you're lonely and you're looking for belonging. My invitation to you this morning is to trust Jesus. First, repent of your sin and be reconciled to God and be joined to the family of God for all of eternity. There is no expiration date on that. Everything that has been time-stamped in the past can be redeemed for all the future. You who were once far off can be and have been brought near. Let's pray about how God would have us to respond. Father, we're grateful for your word and how it challenges us to be more and more like Jesus. Jesus came that we might have union with you through him. And therefore, we might have unity with one another. Being an example to the world of what Jesus is able to do and has done. Lord, we confess that we have perhaps even in the last weeks and months, put our faith and hope, our worship in, in other forms of security, in idols. I pray that you would tear those down this morning. That they would no longer cause us hostility between us and you. We repent of those things. And we would seek to have the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives in such a way that repairs and makes new any wounds that, have been, that need to be healed from the past that you have torn down the wall of hostility among us. I pray that we would be an example for that. Father, for for the person this morning who's considering putting their faith in Jesus, would you irresistibly draw them to yourself even right now, that they might put their faith and hope in you, that they would come even to the end of their own efforts, their own merit, and trust in the effort and merit and completion that Jesus offers on their behalf. Would you give them faith this morning? Would you give us all faith this morning to live and act as you've called us to live? In Jesus' name, amen.